Well, this is a very uh, exciting weekend for me because uh, I've been spending some time back in the UK uh, touring with a theatre company called Searchlight Theatre Company. We put a we put an evening, you might call it a show really, it's not preaching, it's storytelling, humour, music, um, uh, just, just an evening called Hope and Homecomings. And the whole idea of this, as we took it around the UK, was to encourage people to, to live their faith in a way that's attractive, also to bring inspiration to those who've got prodigals, people who used to know the Lord and used to be part of all that God is doing and seem to have walked or marched away from Him. Uh, It's a fun, entertaining evening as well as, I hope, an encouraging evening as well. And as I trekked around the UK, I just thought it would be so cool if my Timberline family could see this. So I thought, well, why don't we do this? And so they're here. You'll recognize immediately that they share the same speech impediment that I that I uh, have. Uh, I want to say that the performance is next Sunday evening, the 22nd. Tickets are flying out of the door, and you can get tickets online, or better still, you can get tickets this morning uh, as you leave. They have come a long way. There's a story in the Bible of Joseph of Arimathea, who when Jesus died, uh, he gave up the family tomb. We're going to explore that a little more, but I would like to ask you to give a massive Timberline welcome to Michael and David and to Judy, the Searchlight Theatre Company. the right thing to do under the circumstances. The right thing to do? To give away our family tomb to this what's-his-name from Nazareth? His name is Jesus. I don't care what his name is. What I care about is you giving away our family grave without telling me. I'm telling you now, aren't I? Well, it's a little bit late now, isn't it? I didn't have time before. You could have made the time... What was I supposed to do? Bring back the body and roll him out on the carpet and say, hey, how about making room for this chap in the family tomb? I just don't see why you needed to get involved. He needed a tomb. We need a tomb. Not as much as he needed a tomb. How come? He's dead. (laughs) We'll be dead too someday. What'll we do then? Not a lot. (laughs) You just do not take me seriously at all. Sometimes I wonder why I married you, Joseph of Arimathea. I know that too meant a lot to you. Well, it should have meant a lot to you as well. It was a wedding present. Only your mother would buy a tomb as a wedding present. Do not talk about my mother in that tone of voice. It was very thoughtful of her. I'm sure it was. I just didn't know what to say when she took us out to see it that afternoon. Ooh. Oh, lovely. Can't wait to try that out. Just what I've always wanted. 
Yes. Well, anything would be better than what you did say. We don't need to go over oh, that. Oh, you told her she was welcome to use it any time she liked. What I meant Oh, was... I know what you meant. Never did like my family, did you? Listen. There's still plenty of room in the tomb. Are you seriously suggesting that we should still use it? I don't see why not. Oh, over my dead body. Well, let's no. see what we can do there. That man was a common criminal. He was not. Then why was he executed? They were trump-trump charges. Oh, so you're one of his followers now too, are I you? I am not one of his followers. I just found one or two things he said rather interesting, that's all. Interesting? interesting. The man was off his head. He was not off his head. Well, he thought he was the Messiah. Now, if that's not having delusions of grandeur, I don't know what is. Perhaps he was the Messiah. Then why couldn't he afford his own tomb? <laughs> Hello. No. <clears throat> come in, come in. Come Come Hello. through. <laughs> Hello Morning. there. Morning. I'm uh, from the Garden of Gethsemane Maintenance Department. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, we uh, take care of a little plot of land outside yes. your tomb. Yes, yes. yes. Afraid to say this account is somewhat <coughs> overdue. Oh, typical. Full of grand gestures, but too busy to pay your bills. Uh, I've got a check, if that's all right. Yes, yes, please. Yes, sir. I think it's I'm afraid um, we won't be needing your services anymore. Oh, you're not satisfied with the service, madam? Oh, not that at all. I'm quite satisfied with you. It's my husband I'm not satisfied with giving away a family grave without telling me. I think you'll find that covers it. Garden gets so many maintenance. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. I mean, what would you do? I suppose I'd ask for it back. Yes, well, it's a little bit late for that because he's dead already. Right, so where is he then? Eh? What do you mean, where is he? He's in a tomb. Your tomb. Do you know, doesn't anybody ever listen to a single word I say? Of course he's in our tomb. Well, it's just that I, I didn't see him there this morning. <laughs> well, you wouldn't see him, would you? Not with a big rock rolled across the entrance? Mm, no, there isn't a big rock across the entrance. There is. What? There isn't. Is. Isn't. Is. Isn't. Oh, is. God. Isn't. Is. <laughs> isn't. Is. Isn't. Is. Is. Isn't. I put that rock there myself. Well, sir, it wasn't there this morning when I walked past, but I shall leave you to your marital bliss. <laughs> Our tomb is empty again. It must have been grave robbers. Empty. Grave robbers. No nasty strangers cluttering mm. it up. But how did they move that big rock? Now we can use our tomb any time we like. He couldn't have moved it himself, could he? Our wedding tomb. Could he? It's got such a lovely view. You like my friends? Don't, uh, don't wait uh, in terms of the tickets. We had to print more tickets this morning, and so please don't wait until 
at the last minute if you want to come to next Sunday evening's uh, event, Hope and Homecomings. I know that you're going to enjoy that. Well, we are continuing a three-week series called Fine Tune. It's very appropriate at the beginning of a new year that we think about uh, tuning up our lives and checking, uh, seeing where we're at. And we're going to uh, jump in right away and look at Matthew 26 today. This is the episode where Peter affirms that he'll never deny Jesus. And then in the same chapter, about six hours later, denies Jesus three times. Fine tuning. Let's have a look at uh, that text together. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. And then verse 69, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows, You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. People often ask me, uh, jumping between the UK and the US, what are some of the things that I love about America and living in America? And there are many things I am starting to love, if I may dare mention this this morning, American football. I'm starting to really like that. We just had our grandkids come over from England and we took them out and bought them their very first cowboy boots, which was incredibly exciting and uh, I took Stanley our two and a half year old grandson to his first Broncos game and uh, I think we, there's a picture of me and Stanley a friend told me that it was kind of the thing to do to wear silly hats to the Broncos game I'm revising my friendships I think I was the only guy there with the stupid hat. But uh, we had a really good time. I love American football. I love driving banking. Does anybody else share that, that, that joy that there is when you launch Apollo 13 <laughs> and your money shoots up that thing? It's just exciting to press that button. I, I know, you're looking at me. I know I need to get out more. It's really sad. And I like cruise control. We, we've got it in Europe now, but I like being able to press that button and, and, and set my speed uh, correctly. It prevents me from having unwelcome conversations with law enforcement officers. And I like cruise control. But it seems to me that there's, there's a bit of a danger, if we're not careful, that we can do life on cruise control. We, we don't think. We just do what we do, and, and then we get ourselves into all kinds of difficulties. One of my New Year's resolutions is that I don't want embarrassing things to happen to me. <laughs> Thanks for your support. I... Uh, uh, I was back in England for Christmas, and, and Turkey in England is five or six times the cost. 
So a six-pound turkey in England will cost you 60 to 70 bucks. Can you believe that? I sense your pain even as I say that. God bless America. So I went out to buy the turkey, and it weighed, I don't know, six or eight pounds, and I put it on the seat next to me, because I'm sitting this side, of course, because it's England, and the turkey's there, because we, we drive on God's side of the road, and here is the, <laughs> here's the turkey. And suddenly, my seatbelt alarm started beeping, flashing, because the seatbelt alarm is detecting the presence of a passenger that doesn't have a seatbelt. <laughs> now, I could have just put the turkey on the floor, couldn't I? Sad, embarrassed person that I am, I reached out and buckled the turkey in. <laughs> I am the only person in England who chauffeur drove a turkey <laughs> and put it in a seatbelt. Why did I do that? I did that because I just, I wasn't thinking. And the danger is that we do that with life, and we do that with life with Jesus. Read Mark's gospel sometimes, and you'll discover the disciples wandering around, reacting rather than reflecting, sending children away that Jesus wanted to bless, having epic experiences on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter blurting out about putting motels up and tents and tabernacles and generally just engaging mouth before engaging brain. And here in this story, that's what happens. I'll never deny you, Jesus, Peter says. An affirmation that didn't even last the night. Because before the rooster crowed the next morning, he denied Jesus three times. But here's some good news. Jesus didn't abandon his project that was Peter. He didn't reject him, but he fine-tuned his life. Peter recovered from this embarrassing failure and went on to embrace his destiny. Fine-tuning took place. So let's think about what that looks like a little more. If you're following along in the bulletin, let's, let's think, first of all, about the point of fine-tuning. What's the point of it? Well, the point is that we embrace our purpose. We embrace our purpose. In verse 31, Jesus says to Peter, After I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus is talking about something familiar, Galilee. It's where the guys used to hang out the most. But now something is different. After I have risen, he's talking about the resurrection. Why does a musician fine-tune an instrument? Question, answer, because they want to play beautiful music. It's so important that we get the truth, that God wants fine-tuning in our lives, not just so that we're nicer people, better people, but rather that we are resurrection people, sharing the good news by our Lifestyles. If we're not careful, the resurrection can become an interesting piece of theological history. Jesus becomes a departed hero, and we hear about the resurrection, and we say, oh, I've got a tomb with a view again, rather than allowing the resurrection to really impact us. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything. Not only does that give us our sense of purpose, but it empowers us for this tuning. And I'm glad about that because there are some forms of Christianity that just wear me out. Where I've got to change this and do this and it's all about me doing everything 
rather than cooperating with the resurrection power of Christ at work in me. Anyone ever read the book The Robe by Lloyd Douglas? It's a very famous novel. Lloyd Douglas used to live in an apartment building opposite a disabled gentleman who was unable to get out of his apartment. He was wheelchair-bound. He was a retired music professor. And every morning, uh, Douglas and this gentleman would have a morning routine. The gentleman used to leave his door of his apartment open so he could at least say good morning to somebody. And Lloyd Douglas would put his head around the door and he would say, good morning, what's the good news? And this gentleman, this retired music professor, would always, every morning, pull out a tuning fork and he would strike the side, the metal side of his wheelchair, and he would say, the good news is that's middle C. Yesterday, it was middle C. Tomorrow, it'll be middle C, and a thousand years from now, this will be middle C. The tenor upstairs sings flat, and the piano across the room is out of tune, but that young man is middle C. Jesus is our middle C. And a thousand years from now, a billion years from now, he'll be our middle C. And I am so glad that what we're talking about in terms of tuning up is not just about us trying to adjust our lives, us alone, but it's allowing him as the middle C to resonate in us as we walk with him every day and allow that purpose and power to come to us. Secondly, if you're going to tune up, you need to know the instrument. We need, we need to know the instrument. Knowing the instrument, the need for self-awareness. Knowing the instrument, the need for self-awareness. Listen to what Peter says in verse 33. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. He is talking without thinking. Do you ever do that? Do I, I, one of my New Year's resolutions, the second one, is I am never going to congratulate a woman on her pregnancy <laughs> until I absolutely know that congratulation is appropriate and that she is actually pregnant. Because I have done that. I have the black eye to prove it. <laughs> we just talk without thinking and sometimes what happens is when you when we don't have self-awareness we get into all kinds of deception peter actually thinks he's better than the other guys even if everybody else denies you i, I never will and get this he actually argues with jesus i'll never deny you yes you will three times before dawn no i won't <laughs> see people who have a lack of self-awareness will argue with god according to john calvin the two things that we need to make meaningful contact with reality are a knowledge of God and a knowledge of ourselves. He says, a new self-awareness leads us by the hand to find God. Are we aware of ourselves, of how we come across? Because, you see, when we lack self-awareness, the result is not good.
Good morning, friends. Morning. My name is Francis Dumas, and I'd love to share a verse with you this morning. It's a wonderful verse. It's a verse that I based my entire life on. You see, Jesus, he said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. As you love yourself, you love yourself. Friends, I'm here to ask you a very simple question this morning. Do you really love yourself? I know I do, but I know <laughs> there may be some of you this morning thinking, well, yes, yes, of course you do. You're a gifted communicator, great dress sense, perfect hair, so soft, you must shampoo and condition. The answer is yes. Yes, I do. And we could go on all morning as to why I'm so great, but please, we must look at this verse. You love yourself. You know, friends, I get so many people coming up to me saying those exact words. Hmm. Yes, it always fills my heart with joy to know I'm really living out this passage. Um, occasionally, I do get some misguided people. They say to me, well, shouldn't you be careful? What about humility? Well, I say, there'll be time for that in heaven. <laughs> and in the meantime, while I wait for that right girl to come along, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's right, ladies, I'm single. Appreciate that's a surprise to many of you. Yeah. I know when that right girl comes along, I'll be ready to shower her with love. But uh, I'd like to end uh, this morning with a song. Yes, that's right. I'm an extremely talented singer and musician. <laughs> Guilty as charged. But uh, I'm not doing this song just to uh, gratuitously show you how talented I am. Although that is the main reason. I'm doing this particular song because it shows us how we love others as we love ourselves. It's late in the evening She's wondering what clothes to wear She puts on her makeup And brushes her long blonde hair And then she asks me Do I look all right? And I say, darling, I look wonderful tonight Thank you. Seriously. Do we know ourselves? Do we know how we're coming across? Here's a, here's a few words to throw out that we might want to reflect on this week as a takeaway. Person, our personality. What's it like? What are our values? What are our habits that we've unconsciously drifted into that we kind of maybe don't even realize we're doing anymore what are our needs what's our motivation our capacity for empathy our people skills we need to know ourselves the need for self-awareness and one way to develop that thirdly the third point in the bulletin is to allow others to help with the tuning to allow others to help with the tuning. Verse 34, Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter is making this affirmation about himself, and Jesus is saying, No, let me tell you about you. This is the way things really are. Here's a pretty tough question. It certainly challenges me. Are there people in our lives that can tell us what they see? Because that isn't easy, because most people are polite. 
They, they, they say what they think we want to hear. My discovery is that you need to give permission to trusted people to be able to say, truly, I tell you, verily, verily, I say unto you in the old King James Version. A big key to self-awareness is other people because we can do stuff without even realizing it. I got into this habit. You know, this is a very critical zone because you're all watching me, and that's a bit scary, mainly for me. And if I have got any gestures or habits, they tend to be amplified up here. I, I used to have this thing uh, where I would hold the microphone when I was preaching, and I would hold a Bible, and so I had no free hand, but my glasses would slide down my nose while I was preaching. And so I'd be preaching away, and then suddenly, without warning, I would say, and the Bible says... <laughs> That's pretty good, that, isn't it? I could get into the circus with that. And the Bible says... And people used to jump, and some people thought I was having a Holy Spirit experience. <laughs> and someone came to me and said, do you know what you're doing? Have you noticed that you, when you do that thing, everyone... Woo. There is nothing more important, Paul Tornier says, than honest dialogue between Christians. It's how we discover ourselves, our friends, and our God. Who has permission? Is there the sound of crackling eggshells when people get near us as they tiptoe around carefully because they're, they're scared? of offending us. We need to allow others to help with the tuning. And then fourthly, fourthly, regular small adjustments will be needed. If we're going to tune up, regular small adjustments will be needed. Verse 70, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Now, if we're not careful, we could get the impression that Peter's just a coward, but he's not. He's not a coward, he's just not consistent. Elsewhere in this chapter, when Jesus was arrested, it was Peter who reached for the sword. And it's, it's kind of, forgive me, it's a bit of a Monty Python-ish scene. Because he reaches for the sword and he, he goes to hit, attack the high priest's servant with it. And he cuts off his ear. Now, how many know that he wasn't aiming for his ear? He didn't say, I know what I'll do, I'll amputate that chap's ear. That will make a real statement. And it's, it's a funny moment almost because, you know, you can imagine Peter standing there with a sword in this hand and an ear in the other. And, and Jesus looks across at Peter and gives him a look that just says, well, thank you very much. That was, that was really helpful. And Jesus takes care of the problem and, and heals the guy. But the point is that the brave man that was Peter just didn't last. And six hours later or something around that, he's denying. His problem wasn't cowardice, it was inconsistency. I wish I could set my life. I, I wish I could say, right, for the rest of my life, I will not eat a double bacon cheeseburger. That's it. It is finished. It is done. But then, you see, I drive by Red Robin. Unlimited plank fries. And the morally consistent man that I was fades away in the midst of a bucket full of fries. You see, what happens is we think we are what we are because of what we were. Somebody came up to me recently and they said, you're a runner, aren't you? And I said, yeah, I run four miles a day. And then I realized I hadn't done any running for two months. <laughs> but, excuse, but I've got the running shoes. 
I've got books about running. I talk to people about running. I got the lycra gear. That's an ugly thought. <laughs> My only problem is I haven't done any running lately. I am a runner. No, you're not. You were. What is it that we used to be that we are now not? And some fine tuning is needed. I'm told that a piano only stays in perfect tune for just a few weeks. Very quickly. May be imperceptible to most people, but small changes begin. Regular adjustments will be needed. Well, the last thing I want to talk about this morning in this story is that we often fine-tune through failure. We often fine-tune through failure. Verse 75, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you would disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter has messed up. But he doesn't just, the story doesn't end there with him, but he, he grows through his failure. Surely that's the definition of, of a wise person. A wise person is not someone who never fails. A wise person is someone who, when they encounter failure, they learn and grow through it. A fool is someone who just keeps doing the same thing and never seems to learn lessons from it. Does anyone remember that TV commercial, which frankly started to get a bit irritating? I've fallen and I can't get up. I can't get up. <laughs> and I meet Christians all the time for whom that's become their mantra. I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah, I've messed up, I'm no good, and that's that. Do you know that failure can be very creative? That's not to print us a license to go and fail. That would be ridiculous. But if we don't just only get up, and, but we dust ourselves down and we say, what can I learn about myself through this failure? Why did this happen? What does this say about the person that I am? What are the circumstances that led to this failure? Were there specific temptations that are heightened in particular contexts? How can I grow? And Peter went outside and cried. I've met Christians who cry a lot. They just never change and never learn through the tears. It was Albert Camus who says, in the depth, said, in the depth of winter, I finally learned that within me there lay an invincible summer. And, and I'm pretty convinced that some of us today have come here with a slight shadow over us because we know we've failed and we're kind of wallowing around in that failure. And I think the Lord doesn't just want us to know that we're forgiven, but he wants us to learn through the experience. And stop and reflect and grow. And so there came a time, there would come a time, when Peter would stand up on the day of Pentecost and declare the message of Jesus. There'd come a time when healing would pulsate through his shadow. The messed up guy who's talked too quickly and then denied three times is fine-tuned and embraces his destiny. Why don't we pray together? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because today we read a story not of rejection. Jesus, 
you knew this man, Peter. You knew what he was like. And you saw through the brashness and the bravado. But even when he plunged into devastating failure and betrayal so quickly, he was not rejected. Help us as we take a few moments to reflect upon your word before we go rushing on into another week. Holy Spirit, work your work in us. Tune us. I'm going to ask that we make responses to God this morning and I'm going to then pray. Two pretty tough questions, if I may. I wonder how many of us would say, hey, I have fallen. I have come from shame and failure today, this week. But I want not only to know forgiveness, but I'd like the middle sea that is Jesus to grow me and show me the lessons that I need to learn through my failure that I might be transformed just a little more into his likeness if that's where you're at would you do something to express that by just slipping your hand up for a moment and you're saying okay here I am thanks for doing that you can you can put your hands down simple way of engaging our will Here's a tougher question. I'm sure we could all do with more people having the opportunity to tell us what they see. But for some of us, it's, this is a problem. We have, we're conscious that we've made it difficult for others to speak into our lives. They're fearful. We don't want to hear it. And if someone tells us something ugly about us, they fear that we're going to shoot the messenger. We could begin a whole new way of doing those relationships. Not just by praying about it in this moment, but perhaps by going to that spouse, that friend, that loved one, and saying to them, I give you permission, help me speak into my life I trust you be careful about whom you give that permission to but for some of us that's a big issue and if that's the case would you do the same thing would you just slip your hand up please as a, a way of saying that's a shift I want to take who knows what could happen as a result of this moment as we put our hands down let's pray we pray for all of those who've just responded, for those who find themselves coming from a place of shame and failure. Help them to get up, but not just get up, but grow as they get up. Learn to become wise. We pray for every relationship that is represented by a raised hand, where there's been fragility and sensitivity and nervousness, hesitation. 
We pray that you will give us wisdom to know who to give permission to, to speak to us things that we don't want to hear. That we will be people who are aware of you, who know you by faith, but also who know ourselves. I want to give a moment for you just to whisper to God whatever you'd like to say to him. So thank you, Lord. We are hopeful. We are grateful. You are alive. And you haven't finished working yet. We give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Lord, that resurrection life that we've been talking about, you, our middle sea, a thousand years from now, you'll be the same. Go with us into the unknown of this new week and play that resurrection melody through us. Tune us up through life by your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Great to see you. Have a wonderful weekend. Uh, The guys from Searchlight will be out at the table if you'd like to meet them. And don't forget those tickets are available. God bless you. Prayer team are here. If we can pray with you, we would love to do that.